Well, this is our second parking awareness weekend in in a row. And uh, as you know, we are pushing Pastor John Best's red car all the way to Canada Way. We've made progress. Congratulations. Let's keep working at it. Um, It's kind of fun. But we are walking a block for Jesus so that, uh, you know, seniors and uh, disabled and uh, those with uh, special needs are able to come, you know, young children. Uh, We want to make room for people so that the people that come have access to what God is doing here among us. Some of you signed up to be volunteers uh, last weekend, so thank you very much for doing that. We could use more volunteers, a good number actually. So if you haven't found a place to serve at Willingdon, uh, consider being a parking volunteer. Ask Jesus about that. Um, Before we begin the message today, we're going to hear a testimony from uh, Sandy Ewan. Sandy Ewan is our Willingdon missionary in South Sudan. Uh, She is a consultant to SIM Sudanese Health uh, Clinic staff, and uh, she also leads a ministry uh, of discipleship to women. So we're really thankful that she's here this morning, and she's got a story to share with us. Sandy, get the mic for you. Salam alaikum. It is good to be home and it's good to be here in Willingdon and to sing praises to the Lord with you. Um, I bring greetings from the South Sudanese church. God is doing amazing, amazing things and people are coming to Christ and, um, and the church is growing. So many baptisms just a few weeks ago. Uh, From the Ngesina tribe, 11 people were baptized. And this is a very strong um, uh, Muslim tribe. But people are turning to Christ. It's just amazing. I'd like to read a story that has happened that I have experienced. I met a man this year in South Sudan named Adam, a refugee from northern Sudan and a witch doctor. This past January... Adam told his wife he was tired of his life and his beliefs. Their oldest son was sick, and even though Adam was a witch doctor, nothing was helping his son. So he took their son to the Doro Christian Clinic that my team runs. While Adam and his son were waiting at the clinic, Zachariah, the clinic chaplain, told everyone who was waiting about Jesus and his saving grace. Adam's heart began to stir. He had never heard about Jesus. He decided that after his son saw the health worker, he would go to the chaplain's office to find out more. When Adam and his son arrived at the chaplain's office, he was warmly welcomed. He told Zachariah he was a witch doctor and he was tired of his life. Zachariah asked Adam why his son was wearing charms around his neck and what was in them. The charms were to ward off evil spirits and to keep his son healthy. It was a leather pouch that was full of herbs and pieces of dead wood. It was supposed to keep his son healthy, but it didn't work. Zachariah the chaplain shared about the living God, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, is alive, and saves people from their sins. After hearing this good news, Adam said he no longer wanted to trust in dead things, but in Jesus, the living God. Immediately, Adam cut off the charm from around his son's neck, and then Zachary and I went to Adam's house where he had many more charms. 
He gave them to us to take and burn in the Doro Clinic's incinerator. What a privilege. Adam is now attending a Bible class every week that is close to his home. He and his family no longer depend on dead things. Instead, they've put their trust in the living God. Their lives have been transformed from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. It's the kind of transformation that only the living God can do. Yeah, let's pray for Sandy. Let's pray for Adam. Father, we just uh, thank you um, that you called Sandy to yourself some years ago. She heard your call, and she's been following you. Thank you, Lord, for your calling on her life. Thank you for the way that you've been leading her. Thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray that you would just continue to bless her and encourage her and strengthen her as she serves the health clinic staff, as she reaches out to women that are uh, wanting to understand what it means to follow you. And so thank you, Jesus, that you're using her for your glory. And we pray for Adam and the many that he represents in South Sudan. We thank you, Lord, that he uh, has gone from darkness to light, that he's been set free, that uh, he is no longer under the power of the evil one. And that's because you, Jesus, gave your life and rose again. So thank you for what you have done in his life and the lives of many in South Sudan. And we pray, Lord, that your gospel would continue to be proclaimed, that the church would continue to grow, that your kingdom would advance in South Sudan and around the world. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Yeah. Sandy told an amazing story of transformation, going from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. And the story that we're going to read in the scriptures today is no less dramatic. So let's turn to John chapter 9. Uh, if you grab a Bible in the seat, from the seat back in front of you, it's page 895. 895. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he, Jesus, Passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. As we read through the whole story, you will notice that some words are repeated. For example, the word blind, it appears 13 times. Words like uh, saw, seeing, see, seen, this seeing word group 16 times. So it's about blindness and sight. It's about physical sight, also spiritual sight. Even though we may not be physically blind, we can relate to the concept of blindness. For example, we all have blind spots. Maybe you were driving and you, you know, shifted over to the right lane and all of a sudden you noticed a car in your blind spot. Maybe you hit the car. 
Another example, maybe at one point you went out on a date and halfway through the meal, the person across the table looked at you and said, hey, you have some lettuce on your chin. Oh, you're a bit embarrassed. Blind spot. Sometimes people really close to us uh, point out attitudes that we have or patterns of behavior that we just don't see ourselves. My wife really helps me a lot, helping me see my blind spots. We all have them. At least I do. Not you. People out there, you know? People out there have blind spots. No, we all need help. We all need help to see. So the disciples, they look at the man born blind and they have a blind spot. They make an assumption. It's in the question that they ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Where does that question come from? Well, it comes from their way of seeing. You see, they are Jews, and in ancient Judaism, if a person was suffering, well, then it was due to sin. Someone had sinned. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at John chapter 5. There was a, a lame man beside the pool that Jesus healed, and later Jesus says to him, Go, sin no more. In some way, his illness was tied to his sin. But that is not always the case. For example, Job, Paul, godly men that suffered greatly. If we are suffering, it is not always due to a specific sin. We can say that all suffering at some level is the consequence of sin. That is true because of the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of humanity. Now, one author has written this. Most people do not see things as they are. They see things as they are. What does that mean? We see things as, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And, you know, we, we see people according to our lens, according to our heart condition. It's interesting that Jesus sees the same man born blind, but he sees him very, very differently. Jesus says that the person of him being the purpose of this man being born blind was that the works of God might be displayed in him, that God might be glorified, that God's glory might be manifested, that the man born blind might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So that those around the man born blind might see the glory of God. So that's the way Jesus sees the man and what God wants to do. What keeps us from seeing what God is doing? Sometimes our way of seeing is muddied. We have mud in our eyes. What the story communicates, it becomes even clearer if we consider the context. Many commentators believe that chapters 7, 8, and 9, they all happen around the Feast of Booths. So last weekend, we were talking about the water pouring right at the Feast of Booths. You'll remember that the high priest, each day of the feast, he would lead a procession down from the Temple Mount to the Pool of Siloam. There at the Pool of Siloam, he would take a golden pitcher and take water out of the pool, and then with that pitcher, he would walk back up to the Temple Mount via another route each day of the feast, and he would pour the water out at the base of the altar, praying a prayer for rain and for the Spirit of God to come, for the age of the Messiah to come. On the last day of the feast, of course, he would cry out, How long, Lord? Not only that was happening, other things were happening at the feast. For example, four massive candlesticks would be erected in the court of the women 
in the temple on the first day of the feast. Four candlesticks that together would represent the pillar of fire leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. So people were remembering how God had been faithful to the the people of Israel in the past, but they were also praying for something else. They were waiting for the age of the Messiah, and they believed that when the Messiah came, the light of God would shine on all people. What happened on the last day of the feast? Well, on the last day of those, the feast, those four massive candles, they were extinguished. And so the light that had been glowing over Jerusalem was extinguished, and suddenly it was dark. And chapter 8 tells us that in that moment, Jesus says something. Chapter 8, verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Imagine the impact of those words in the darkness of Jerusalem. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus is about to heal the man born blind, he goes back to these words from chapter 8. Look at what he says. Chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So we all desperately need for the light of Jesus to shine on our hearts. We all have blind spots that keep us from seeing, blind spots that hurt us, blind spots that hurt others. We all need for the mud in our eyes to be removed. Let's return to the story in John 9. It turns kind of humorous, if not sad. Look at this. Chapter 9, verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. (laughs) So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So the beggar, he had his regular place of begging. That kind of thing happens to this day. The beggar was a part of the landscape. People knew him. The neighbors knew him. Now he can see, and they're not sure that it's him. All the while, he's saying, hey, it's me. I am the man. It's interesting how we can fail to see the familiar. A number of years ago, I was invited to uh, lead an adult Bible study group. And the people in this group, they knew each other very well. They had been together for some time. So... One of the things that I did was that I would often ask a question at the beginning of the group just to get people talking to each other. And on this particular evening, I asked, okay, is there something about you that no one in the group knows? And uh, there was a man in the group by the name of George. He was an executive with uh, General Motors, and his right arm was missing. So something obvious, right? So when it was his turn, he said, well, when I was a young boy, I was riding my horse, fell off the horse, twisted my arm very, very badly, and eventually my arm was removed. An obvious thing. No one in the group, they'd been together for a long time, no one knew how he had lost his arm. 
So just imagine the things in our lives that are not so obvious. Do we actually see the people around us that have become familiar to us? Do we still see? In John chapter 9, the neighbors, they're not sure whether it's the man born blind or not who's been healed. For some reason, they aren't seeing clearly. They're not sure how to interpret what has happened, and so they go to people that they believe will have wisdom for them. They go to the religious leaders. Let's read in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. Isn't it interesting that everyone in the story recognizes that the man born blind has been healed? Some people actually see him being healed. Others just see evidence of it. Even the Pharisees agree that he has been healed. But nobody's high-fiving the man. Nobody's saying to him, hey, what's it like to see for the first time? What should have been a day of celebration, of rejoicing, it spirals down into controversy and debate, fear. Why do the Pharisees have so much mud in their eyes? They talk about the Sabbath. Was the issue actually the Sabbath? Not the Sabbath as taught in the Scriptures. They had added all kinds of rules to the Sabbath. In fact, they had 39 classes of work that they did not allow on the Sabbath. Healing, even healing, was forbidden on the Sabbath unless a life was in danger. Kneading, kneading bread, forbidden. So Jesus had taken clay and he had mixed it with saliva. He was kneading, forbidden. Anointing, they weren't sure. They were divided. Their premise, a man of God would not break the Sabbath. Jesus broke the Sabbath according to our rules. Therefore, he is not a man of God. Their religious system tells them that Jesus can't be the Messiah. There is no way that they see can see him. In fact, they say in this story, he's a sinner. The Jewish expectation... The Jewish expectation was that the Messiah would heal the blind... No one had ever heard of a man born blind being healed. This man who had been blind his whole life, now healed, sees. They should have been awestruck, but all that they can say is, Jesus for sure is not the Messiah. He is a sinner. Why would they say that? Well, remember, there's been conversation about Jesus from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 9. There's all kinds of controversy raging around him. And for the Pharisees, there is no way that they can accept Jesus to be the Messiah because he's going to challenge the way that they see. He will challenge their position, their influence, and their power. They refuse to see. Sometimes we cannot see what God is doing because we are willfully blind Sometimes we are willfully blind. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Gayla Benefield, she was born, uh, sorry, she lived in Libby, Montana. Libby, Montana is this idyllic town surrounded by mountains and lakes. She read utility meters. 
And as she read utility meters from day to day, she noticed that a lot of men were at home on oxygen tanks, something rather strange. Then her father died at 59. A few years later, her mother died at an early age. And she remembered that all of her mother's relatives had lived a long, good life. What was going on? She began to think about the vermiculite mine. Vermiculite is a, is a toxic form of asbestos. And she realized that there was vermiculite in the gardens, in the playgrounds, in the roofs. She thought that she had made an amazing discovery. And so she started to talk to people from town about that. But when she tried to talk to people about it, she learned an even more shocking truth people didn't want to know. There was a man from Seattle, a researcher, who heard about her dilemma, and he decided to help her. In his research, he discovered that the mortality rate in Libby, Montana, was 85 times higher than any other place in the United States of America. 85 times higher. People responded with, This can't be true. People would have told us. Doctors would have told us. Politicians would have informed us. This can't be true. So this was no longer ignorance. This was willful blindness. Willful blindness, it's a legal term used to describe people who choose to ignore what they should know or could know. And researchers tell us that when there's a problem, 85% of the people actually don't want to know. They will say nothing and do nothing. So I believe that all of us, under certain circumstances, are willfully blind. Is there something that we're refusing to see? It may be about your marriage. It may be about your family. It may be about our church. It may be about our city, our society. Things that we just don't want to see. They're actually quite obvious, but if we see them, we'll have to change. Let's go back to the scriptures, verse 18. The story is sobering at the beginning, but it gets better. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So the religious leaders, they can't accept the testimony of the man born blind. They go to someone that should be able to give a reliable witness, his parents. The parents acknowledge the man to be their son, but they refuse to acknowledge Jesus. Why? Well, the text is really clear. They feared the Jews. And in this text, the Jews is the religious leaders. So the parents are afraid to acknowledge Jesus because if they do, they'll be put out of the synagogue. They will be shamed. They will be excluded from the community to which they belong, the community that's really important to them. And they fear people much more than they fear God. And this is one of the fundamental reasons why people did not believe in Jesus on that day 
and why they continue to struggle with Jesus to this day. Because if they do see Jesus as he is and accept him for who he is, they will have to change. And if they change, they may be excluded from their group. So that happens here where we live. It happens around the world. People are afraid of being shamed. Now, what frees us from that fear of being shamed, that fear of being excluded? We'll get there in a moment. But sometimes we can't see what God is doing and we can't look into the eyes of Jesus because we're afraid of the consequences of seeing. We fear the consequences of a new way of seeing. One thing that I think that we have to admit as Canadians is that as a society, we are willfully blind in a number of really significant areas. One of those areas, which we won't talk about today, but it's just drug use in our country. Collectively, we're not facing reality and dealing with it. Let's continue to read the story. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He's referring to Jesus. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would listen, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I think he's being a bit sarcastic. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And so they do to the man exactly what his parents feared. He's shamed before his community. He no longer belongs. He's just a mistake. He's just plain bad, born in utter sin. All the Pharisees can do is insult and shame. What do they say to him? Give glory to God. That's kind of ironic because his his healing is actually giving glory to God. Why would they even say that? Well, I believe they're repeating what Joshua said to Achan. When the people of Israel entered the promised land, Achan took from the bounty and kept it for himself and he hid it. Joshua comes to him because the people of Israel are being judged by God and he says to Achan, Achan, give glory to God. In other words, tell the truth. Own what you have done. This is what they're saying to the man born blind. Tell the truth. You're a sinner. Who do you identify with in the story so far? Do we identify with the disciples who just make the wrong assumptions? Or with the Pharisees who are willfully blind? Or, or with the parents who are afraid of seeing Jesus and acknowledging him for who he is? Afraid of the shaming that will fall on them? Or like the neighbors, they no longer see what is familiar and they're not even sure that the man born blind is the one that begged every day. 
all of us need help in order to see. We all struggle with blindness in some way. What will enable us to see? How do we get the mud out of our eyes? Well, there's good news. Chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who, did not, who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Again, something ironic. What keeps the Pharisees from seeing Jesus is their view of God that they have constructed. It's not because they're immersed in the Scriptures and are rooted in the Scriptures that they can't see Jesus. It's because they have constructed their own way of seeing God and faith. They know something about God. They know something about His law. But Jesus says in chapter 5, they do not know the Father. They've never heard his voice. They say, no, we're disciples of Moses, but Jesus says, if you would just listen to Moses, you would see me. Sometimes we think about religious people in this way. Well, they're religious and uh, they're kind of in the light. They're religious and they're kind of spiritually alive. According to the scriptures, if you are not in Jesus, if you have not allowed the light of Jesus to shine on you, if you've not received Jesus as the light of the world, the light of life, then you are in darkness. And so the Pharisees are as dead as the witch doctor in South Sudan. They are as blind as the witch doctor in South Sudan. They're not half alive, they're not half seeing, they're dead and they're blind. What keeps them from seeing? Pride. Pride. Intellectual pride, religious pride, pride in all of its forms will keep us from seeing Jesus. If they had just admitted their need for healing, Jesus would have healed them. If they had just humbled themselves before Jesus, Jesus would have removed their spiritual blindness. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility is the gateway into the kingdom of God. If we don't humble ourselves, we can't enter. We will never see. So their sin remains, Jesus says. Their guilt remains. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. It is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength it's not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. So what enables us to see? What enables us to see? The only remedy is for us to humble ourselves. The only remedy is for us to acknowledge that we truly do have mud in our eyes. On the day of the healing, Jesus, he passed by the man born blind and he saw him. 
Later, he found out that he had been cast out. And this is one of the most beautiful parts of the story. What does Jesus do? He seeks him out, finds him, and speaks to him. The book of Revelation talks about Jesus walking among the churches. And so one of the things that is true is that Jesus is present with his church when we gather He's present by his spirit. And so Jesus is walking among us today, as it were. And what does Jesus see? Well, if we are in a place of having been shamed, if we are under guilt, if we are afraid, if we have been marginalized, if we have been excluded, then Jesus comes to us in love and is ready to speak with us. What does he say to the man born blind? It's amazing how the story goes. You know, the man born blind, when he first um, gets healed, he's not sure who Jesus is. And people start talking to him and they say, who healed you? He says, well, the the man called Jesus. A little later on in the conversation, he says, well, he's a prophet. At least I think he is. Then the Pharisees say to him, well, no, Jesus is a sinner. And he says, I don't know about that, but one thing I know That though I was blind, now I see. Jesus hears that he's been shamed, goes and finds him, and asks him, do you know who the Son of Man is? And how does he respond? Simply responds, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus, the light of the world, says to him, you're looking at him. (laughs) You were blind? But now you see, here I am. And the man falls down and worships and says, Lord, I believe. He entrusts himself to Jesus. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In the case of the man born blind, each step of the way, as Jesus reveals himself to him, he just responds in simple obedience. Step after step after step. In the story of Adam, the witch doctor in South Sudan, he was living in darkness. He recognized his need. He heard the gospel being proclaimed. He heard about a living God that could actually help him, that could do a new work in his life, in the life of his son, and he surrendered himself to Jesus, tore the charms off of his son, went home and got rid of all of the charms, burned all of them, and decided to trust in Jesus. He said, Jesus, I believe Sandy observed that surrender on his part to Jesus, and then she realized, oh my, he surrendered himself to Jesus, but he knows so little about Jesus. And so she encouraged Adam to join a Bible study group. And so now he's in a Bible study group, and some disciples just a little farther ahead than him are discipling him. She referred to Zechariah, the chaplain from the health clinic. He's a new believer, but God is already using him to disciple others. So he's in a Bible study group. His name, Adam, it just means man, human. And in a way, he represents all of us. What enables us to see? Allowing the light of the world, Jesus, to remove the mud in our eyes and enlighten us. Allowing the light of the world to remove the mud and enlighten us. How do we allow that light to shine on our hearts? Well, first step for all of us. Either we've taken it or we need to take this step. It's just a step of surrender. Okay, I need help. (laughs) I'm in the darkness. Jesus, shine your light on me. 
I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need forgiveness of sin. I need to be set free from guilt. I need to have my shame removed, my fear of the evil one. Jesus set me free. And you surrender yourself completely and open yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit and the lights come on. So if you've never taken that step, I'd encourage you to do it today. Be transferred from darkness to light. If you've already taken that step, then you immerse yourself in the scriptures as Adam is studying the scriptures today. Jesus, in John chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. And in that same chapter, he says to those that have believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so as disciples of Jesus, we immerse ourselves in the word and we hear God speaking to us so that our blindness might be removed. And then thirdly, we need to walk with others. None of us are meant to walk alone. We need the help of others to see our blind spots. That's why they're blind spots is because we can't see them. So we need the help of brothers and sisters that will point out to us where we need to change, where we need to grow. They'll encourage us. They'll pray for us. We aren't to walk alone. So if you aren't in a discovery group or a life group or a discipleship group or you're not being mentoring, mentored by someone, then seek that out. We are not meant to walk alone. Jesus is the light of the world. His desire is to shine his light on us, to lead us. He is the light of life. He is present to guide us by his spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So we're before the Lord, before Jesus. And if you've never taken that first step to surrender your life to Jesus and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, then I'd encourage you to do that right now. It's between you and Jesus. There'll be a prayer on the screen behind me, and I'd encourage you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and I surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'd encourage you either to come forward or go to the I Said Yes banner, go to the Welcome Center. We'd love to encourage you. And now, a prayer for all of us. Lord, we're here as your disciples, and we thank you again for drawing us to yourself by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light of the world. Thank you for shining your light on us. Thank you that you invite us to walk in your light. Lord, may we be people of the word. May we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. May we hear you speaking to us as we read the word, Lord. I pray that you would do that work among us by your spirit. And Lord, 
as we hear you speaking, may we submit to your direction and allow you to correct our way of seeing. Remove our blindness, Lord. May we walk in your light. May we walk with our brothers and sisters and allow them to speak to us. May we walk in humility before you and others for your glory, that the world might know, Jesus, that you are the one sent by the Father for our salvation, for the salvation of the world. We give you the glory and we thank you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.